Thank you, Mary Ellen. That was beautiful. Pastor Colleen is here with the Bible boxes for the children. Go ahead and meet her at the back. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The Gospel of Mark chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read the first eight verses of what scholars believe to be the oldest of all the Gospels, the one that was written first. It doesn't take long in life to figure out that the answers you get are based on the questions that you ask. And in fact, if you don't ask the ultimate questions, you won't get the ultimate kinds of answers. For example, if you never allow yourself to ask the question, who am I, really? What's the ultimate purpose in life? Is there a God, truly? If you never ask those questions and you never get to the answers that provide deep and abiding meaning and purpose to your life. The same is true when you think of beginnings. Where you begin will determine where you end. Unless, of course, there is a metanoia, a a turning around, a turning in a different way. In which you realize you weren't going in the direction uh, that you want to end. In our text today, we see both of those truths interplayed in a way that's a fascinating study. Our text begins with a statement that will determine, in fact, where the gospel ends, and in fact, where the other gospels end, this text begins. Tradition tells us that Mark wrote down what Peter preached. And so it would make sense that Peter's personality being what it is, that his direct approach would start with where he wants you to end up, by the time you get to the end of the gospel. And so Peter states it very clearly in chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. In both Matthew and Luke, they begin with genealogy and the story of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. John's prologue starts, in fact, with creation and the fact that the the Word became flesh, this divine Word, this this thought that became reality. So in each of the other Gospels, they set out to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Peter just states it right up front. This is what we're going to see. This is who he is. And this is what we want you to understand about it. And so all the four Gospels, of course, end in that same place, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the one who is coming to heal this sin sickness that so plagues humanity. And that to be able to do that, it is God himself who comes. It is not human beings in our great ingenuity or education or evolution that's going to achieve salvation. It only comes as God himself comes and enters our lives and enters our world. This second person of the triune God the Son, came to be with us. Now, as in all things, to prepare for His coming is to prepare for all that God has for us individually and as community, as a world at whole. And so God Himself prophesied, sent a prophet to tell us that Jesus was coming and that when He comes, it's going to change everything about the world. This prophet was to prepare the hearts and the lives 
so that they could receive what God has. If we are not ready to receive the goodness of God or the guidance of God, then we miss the presence of God and what he has for us in our lives. So let's turn to the teachings of Peter in first chapter of Mark, the first eight verses. And Peter is preaching as Mark records it. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance, metanoia, turning for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me, comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now keep that open before you and let's pray. Jesus, it, it still boggles our minds over 2,000 years later that you would come. Not only would you come, but that you would be here with us when we gather in your name. That you would give us your spirit. That you would empower us to metanoia, to change, to be able to be with you. I know that each one of us come from from very different paths. We're uniquely here this morning. And so we uniquely listen to what you have for us. Help us to hear and help us to respond and help us to be. We pray it in the name of your wonderful saving grace. Amen. After creation itself, the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is the most important event that ever occurred in his story, in history. So it is no surprise that much of the Old Testament is preparing us for his coming so that we would not miss it when he was born. Just as the New Testament is preparing us for the final event, the second coming of Christ, the new heaven and the new earth, the new creation, as we studied last week. Now, what's powerful about all that is that God's preparation is what allows us to not miss it when God acts. When he acts individually in our own lives, when he acts within his story, in the purposes that he's accomplishing overall, but also in what it is that he wants us to do in the lives of others as we become instruments of preparers in what God wants to do for them. So I want us to look at four different things that we see from this. There are many things in Scripture. I hope that you'll take 
these as just kind of a sampling of how God works. But let's look at four things that God does in preparing us for His coming individually and in the world. First, Scripture explains to us what's going to happen. Scripture is profoundly communicative, far more than most of us ever realize. Second, God used a person to come and prepare us specifically, pointing us to the supremacy of Christ. There are individual agents that God uses to accomplish His purposes and His preparation. Third, the call of the person God uses is to metanoia, to change directions, to go with God when He acts, to not be in cross-current when God is acting, or not to have our back turned such that we miss His coming and His action. And fourth, when God acts, He does so through the Holy Spirit's power. It's not by human ingenuity or human ability that God changes the world. It's through the very gift of God Himself who gives us His Spirit. Now, although there are exceptions to these, and there are times I've met many people who have experienced direct revelation from God without human agency being involved in it, most often and in most circumstances, I see these four kinds of things that happen in each of our lives. So let's look at each step. Let's look, first of all, Scripture explains God's ways so that we're not left in the dark. In this instance, Peter notes that the prophets explained it long ago. Isaiah was about a thousand years, 700 years before Jesus, that the messenger would come. And in this instance, actually, it's more than just Isaiah. There are three prophets that are quoted uh, by Peter in this. They send a message ahead of the Messiah that he would call to us from the wilderness, not from the city, not from the temple, that you would need to go into the wilderness state, the wilderness place, in order to receive the message of God. And his message would be to prepare the way, both our, the way for Jesus Christ to come and the way for us, us to come to Jesus Christ, that everything would be straight, which simply means that any boulders and logs and, and potholes that are keeping us from getting to Jesus, we remove those so that we can have access to the presence of God. And then knowing that uh, the people he's speaking to are Jewish, they've studied the Old Testament, they've studied it regularly in their lives, he explains that John wore clothing made of camel's hair and had a leather belt. That means that Peter was saying that John, in the wilderness, preparing the way so we could go straight to Jesus, was the prophesied person who comes like Elijah before Elisha, wearing the uniform, uh, the symbolism of the forerunner, the garment of hair, the leather belt, living off the land of figs and honey. One of the teachings that uh, Wesley has given us that I have found extremely helpful in my own life is this concept of double inspiration. He explains, and this is so true, that the Holy Spirit inspired the original writers when they sat down and as Mark was recording Peter's sermon, what was it that that God wanted to be recorded such that we would read it now, almost 2,000 years later. That inspiration, inspiring, breathing in, gives guidance to us when it was originally written. But Wesley points out the experience that we all have, that when we become Christian 
and the Holy Spirit is with us, that the Word of God becomes doubly inspired. It comes alive to us. The Holy Spirit takes it and applies it uniquely to our life. I know you've had the experiences I have where you've read a verse a hundred times, but now in this circumstance, on this day, you read it again, and it's as though God spoke to you a unique word. And if we earnestly, fervently want to hear what God has for us, and we are committed to obeying the guidance that God gives, then it becomes this supernatural guidance of God within our lives. And Scripture comes alive. It becomes the living word. It becomes that word that God uses to guide each one of us. So that's the first aspect of God's preparation. The word of God is a living word. We, we understand it so that we can understand the symbolism when we see the symbolism occur again, whether it's a camel's hair coat and a leather belt or whether it's a wilderness experience or whatever it might be as we've studied the word of God. Now, second, Scripture not only prepares us for what's going to happen individually and corporately, but God uses people, normal human beings, to come to us and point us to Christ. In this original sense, it was John the baptizer who comes. The fulfillment of Elijah, the forerunner for Elisha. And John makes it clear that it is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming that is far superior to him. That he only baptizes with water, but this one who comes is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest privileges of any of our lives is to be used by God as an instrument, an agent of his healing, his preparation, his comfort, his empowerment, his encouragement, his exhortation in the lives of our fellow Christians. But one of the greatest dangers, spiritually, is to take the credit ourselves as though we are the one who was able to bring change and transformation in the life of another person. The scriptures are full of messengers that God used to bring about change in the lives of others. The church history is full of it. Our church history is full of examples of God using this word from a Bible study, this friend, this spouse speaking, and this child coming up and speaking to a father or a mother. There, the human agency is, is resplendent throughout all of Christianity and within our own lives. But the stories of Scripture become tragedies when that person whom God uses takes the credit for themselves and turns the attention not to God, the one who works through them and in the lives of others, but takes the praise and the worship themselves for their being some kind of a special being. The primary example of that, of course, is Moses, the great leader of the Exodus. I can't wait for the film to come out in a few weeks. Perhaps the greatest leader of all time, in all situations, God used Moses to hit a rock and have water come out in the midst of that dry wilderness so that the people could drink deep of God's care. But in a moment of pride, Moses hit the rock a second time, claiming the power was his and Aaron's. And he lost the joy of completing the leadership task. 
he did not get to lead them into the promised land. So God uses people. That's his most normal method. He gifts and he provides opportunity. But if those individuals do not point us to God, if they keep the glory or praise for themselves, then they are not a forerunner and they are not a pastor and they are not a prophet. God uses people to bring us to himself, to point them to the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now third, the person God uses will call us to metanoia, to change directions, so that we can go with God where he is going, rather being cross-purposes or cross-currents to God's actions. Most often, the person that God uses tells us that we need to change directions and to become the person that can receive the love, forgiveness, and empowerment of God. I have found that in my own life, it's most often my spouse that God uses. You perhaps have found that as well. It can be your child. I've seen many children speak to their parents in ways that have brought life and a future and a hope into their lives. It can be a best friend who loves you enough to speak the truth and to to be there and to call you to metanoia, to change the direction. It can come from a pastor. That's, in fact, our primary task. Bible study leaders speak into our lives, counselors. Whoever the person is that God sends to us, the call to change directions is the call to life to be there where God is so that we can be with God just as Jesus has come to be with us. That's what Emmanuel means, God with us. Now, as as we saw in our prayer time and as we experience daily, sin can come in every color and every stripe, every shape, every individual of every nation. It can be based on pride, the deadly sins, pride, anger, sloth, greed, envy, hatred. It can be very unique. There can be sins that for us destroy us and take us away from God that would not in someone else's life. But if God comes to be with us and stands directly in our lives, if we are faced the other direction, then we will not see God's presence. We will not experience his call. When he comes either in Bethlehem or in Santa Barbara or uniquely in our lives, we have to turn. And so John says, turn around. Confess your sin. Let go of whatever it is that's compelling you to face in a direction other than where God is. For if you do not, you'll miss him when he acts. And you'll miss the opportunity to respond to his call on your life. And that, of course, takes us to the final lesson. When God acts, he does so through the power of the Holy Spirit. As we saw earlier, the resources that this person God uses, brings, is that they can only baptize with water. We can only, as human beings, do what human beings can do. We are not God, and we can only bring the symbols of God's presence into a person's life. 
Bring them into sanctuary where God is. Bring them into the presence of God through the metanoia call. And so that awareness that when God acts, he will turn that person's loving call towards the power of God and the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence, that this human agent then becomes an instrument of what God is doing, for it's God's actions. He's the ever-present counselor, the Prince of Peace. He is the one that comes that we might have life and have it abundantly at every level of our lives, such that this unnecessary pain that so plagues humanity is no longer the descriptor of our lives. For we walk with God. Now, I don't know where you are this Advent Sunday. Perhaps God is calling you to live in the wilderness and to call those you love to turn their faces toward God. If so, do so with the humble awareness that it is God that is at work in your life and in the lives of those that you love. Turn them to God. Perhaps someone has come into your life brought by God to call you to metanoia. Perhaps it's me right now as your pastor who is calling you to turn from whatever has hold of you and turn your face toward Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He wants to set you free from whatever it is that would turn your face away from God and away from his love. And he wants to give you life. And if I'm the agent calling you to that, I encourage you to respond to the one speaking through me that he loves you, he cares for you, and he wants to have life, and he wants to give it to you abundantly. Or perhaps you've heard God say in some unique way today that there's a person that has come into your life who's calling you to make some changes and that person is actually God's instrument in your life. And if so, then respond. Respond with that wonderful obedience to the voice of God as the truth of God becomes clear to you. Whatever and wherever you are this Advent Sunday, let's spend time with God.